You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Land Surveyor Radio Hour. I'm excited to introduce my special guest, Patrick Lee, uh, who is not a surveyor, but he has uh, spoken at many land surveying events over the years, state societies, and he is a character actor. Uh, he joins us as Daniel Boone, Clark, Thomas Jefferson, and many other people, and he shares all of those things with uh, surveyors about these historic people's lives. So, uh, Patrick, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited. You know, I love history, and I know that uh, other land surveyors, you know, really feel this deep connection between our ancestor surveyors and us today. And uh, you're one of those guys who helps us build that connection uh, by playing various roles. So could you give us uh, kind of an introduction to what you do? Yes. Uh, in 1990, almost 30 years ago, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time when the capital of Missouri, Jefferson City, was looking for someone to portray their namesake and welcome conventions to town. I was in the marketing business at the time and thought I might end up putting together a marketing program for the city of Jefferson to do this. And they said, well, would you like to portray Mr. Jefferson? <laughs> and, uh, and they didn't have a long line of guys willing to put on knickers and pantyhose and stand in front of strangers and pretend to be Thomas Jefferson. And I said, heck, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. And my, wow. my, first, my first presentation was to the Missouri affiliate of the American Diabetes Association. They were having a dinner in the rotunda of the Missouri Capitol. I can't convey to you how little I really knew about what I was doing or how little I knew about Thomas Jefferson, but I, I did it, and people liked it, and I just kept on. Um, most of my work, or practically all of my work, the first several years was just in or around Jefferson City, Missouri, and after a couple of years, I thought, well, if they had Mr. Jefferson, they probably wouldn't have him back again as a convention speaker. Whom else could I be? And I thought, well, Daniel Boone has pretty good name recognition. No one knows what he looks like. I'll become Daniel Boone. So I, All right. debuted, I debuted him in 1994, and then five years later debuted William Clark, the Clark half of the Lewis and Clark expedition. And I have pursued a career with those three characters uh, full-time for the last 20 years. That's amazing. So how did you go about learning about these people? Because, you know, when you first started, this was really kind of a necessity to put on the outfit and to talk. But how did you learn about these characters as the years went by? The public library. When, when I had, when what is that? The public library. Biographies. I just started reading. I, I, was, I was not an authority on these men. I was not even a very good student of history. But when the Jefferson City said, you can do this for us, I walked out of the Convention and Visitors Bureau across Adams Street to the what was then the Thomas Jefferson Library, checked out two biographies on Mr. Jefferson, read them both, and had enough to, to get through my first presentation as Thomas Jefferson on the fifth day of May, 1990. I've never stopped reading about Mr. Jefferson and these other men. But I, I began making myself a student of them through the resources of the public library. Okay. The same, the so you, you, know, you, you adopted this persona? Pardon? You adopted this persona and learned about them? And, and what does it feel like to be somebody else? Well, I, I can't say that something mystical comes over me. Uh, I don't feel like I'm channeling these characters, but I, I, I put on the costume. I have the knowledge to do this, the ability to make a compelling presentation before an audience, and I just enjoy teaching adults about these men. I, they, 
I find all three of them admirable characters. I I like to take the lessons from their lives, from their times, and apply it to the present, how people can use their experiences, their wisdom, to, to benefit their lives today and going forward. My, my programs, while I am set in the past, my programs are not about the past. It's what people can learn from the past to benefit them going forward. And I, I like that challenge. I like making history come alive for for people and the vast majority are not like surveyors they don't like history they don't they didn't find it interesting when they were young they've never had that much exposure to it now that they're older and i make it come alive for the 95 percent of people who don't find history very interesting yeah i really like that because yeah, I remember going to law school, and uh, the constitutional law professor talked about a living constitution because, you know, it was written 200-plus years ago, but the principles in the constitution are still applied today. And it sounds like, you know, you kind of channel these people and, and pull out the leadership and the life lessons that they learned a long time ago, and then you set it into a contemporary context so we can use their knowledge to make our lives better. Yes, human nature does, does not change, so I do exactly that. I take lessons from Jefferson's life or Boone's life or Clark's life, and I, I, when I'm speaking, I stay in my time frame, so I don't comment on 21st century things as any of these men, but I make it possible for people to, to draw from what I'm saying and, and make it relevant in the present. That's awesome. And today's show is something really special we've never done before in the radio hour because uh, in our second segment we'll have William Clark on. and then I'm sorry, our first segment, second segment we'll have Daniel Boone, and then we'll have William Clark. And finally, on the fourth segment today, we'll have Thomas Jefferson. So you are going to play or you're going to uh, reenact and give us life lessons from all three of these people today. Which is, which is super fun. But before we do that, can you tell us, you know, what state societies have you talked at before? And, you know, what have you told the guests? What's your, been your, you know, lecture topics? Oh, well, I've spoken to the Missouri Society of Surveyors multiple times. I've spoken in Kentucky, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania three times. I've been in Nevada multiple times. I've spoken to the California surveyors. Um, there are enough of them that I can no longer remember all of them. I think there are <laughs> eight, eight or ten surveyor societies, and I've probably spoken to them a total of 15 times over over the last 20 years. And if if Jefferson is speaking, they hear from Jefferson, the surveyor, and his his vision for projecting a rectilinear grid on all of what, what has been, been the West, whatever lay beyond the mountains of the Blue Ridge up to the Mississippi River, and then continuing that vision on, on West with Louisiana. If they hear from Boone, they hear of his life and times from Pennsylvania to North Carolina to Kentucky to Missouri and his adventures along the way. Clark will primarily talk about the Lewis and Clark expedition, why they went, what they accomplished, what his like, what his life was like for the, the 30 years after they returned from the expedition, when he continued to have an influential role in, in Missouri government. And what about Boone? You know, uh, I know that Boone did all kinds of things. I mean, I, I lived in Texas for many years, and uh, Daniel Boone was a famous guy out there. But he did a lot of stuff on the East Coast before he went out West. So what kind of stuff do you talk about with Daniel Boone? Well, Boone was primarily a hunter. That he, uh, he hunted for, for deer hides primarily to collect and sell for cash to buy the few things that they couldn't grow and make for themselves. He never thought of himself as anything other than a hunter and an explorer. But such was the confidence that people had in Boone 
that if he was willing to move west, other people would move west with him. So when he left Kentucky, or when he left the Yadkin River Valley and what's now North Carolina and came into Kentucky, people followed him. Twenty years ago, when he left Kentucky and went to Missouri, people followed him. And he, he was not the first person, the first white man to go to any of those areas. But a lot of people drew inspiration from Boone's leadership and followed. So he really was instrumental in bringing more American settlers into Kentucky and then beyond and finally beyond the Mississippi River into Missouri and then beyond there. Even though he, he never thought of himself as, as a leader or a pioneer, but he was because that was just the kind of life that he lived. That's amazing. And I think of Daniel Boone as kind of a poor, backwoods guy, uneducated, and then Thomas Jefferson as a very rich aristocrat. So these are just different people in different spheres, but they really got stuff done. You know, they founded or settled a lot of this country, and without Boone, Clark, Jefferson, we would have very little of the U.S. as we know it today. So they were the movers and shakers of their time, and... uh the one thing all these people have in common, it seems like, is they loved land. They were just land crazy, and they would do anything to get another acre of property. That, 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 that is correct. Boone, Boone compiled quite a sizable quantity of land during his survey times. Now, he ended up losing all of it. Uh, Clark owned, owned land in in and around St. Louis, where he spent the last 30 years of his life. Jefferson was always acquiring pieces of land and selling pieces of land in Virginia. So uh, it was, a I don't know, maybe more common then when land was so plentiful and much of it was so cheap to, to acquire as much as you possibly could. That's great. Now, we only have about a minute left before our first break. So can you tell us, how do people find you, and how do you schedule doing one of these seminars? Uh, my website is jeffersonleadership.com. There's information on there about, about my work, about my characters. You can email me from there, or you can email me at jefferson at patricklee.com. Thomas Jefferson has a blog. On the home page of the website, over on the right-hand side, there's a red banner, and at the top it has subscribe, and you can subscribe to the Jefferson Leadership blog. Twice a week, Mr. Jefferson posts something briefly, oftentimes on the functions or attributes of leadership, and then I write two or three paragraphs to give background and context for what Mr. Jefferson has, uh, has written. I've been doing that. Eight years now, there are over 900 posts on that blog. Everything from aging and architecture to slavery and taxes are on there. Quite That's great. At jeffersonleadership.com. And you've also have several YouTube videos, full-length YouTube videos of your leadership discussions. So uh, definitely check that YouTube page out. It's really, really good stuff. Um, but before we go our first break, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a really fun couple of segments. So hold tight. I've never done this before, to do all three characters back-to-back. I'm excited. So let's take our first break, and uh, we'll be right back. Want to ace your upcoming survey exam? The NLC Prep Combo has everything you need to help you crush your upcoming FS, PS, Florida PSM, California PLS, or Texas RPLS exam. Combos include a full-length practice exam book with the same number of questions and category types as the actual exam, a pre-programmed HP 35 with 17 programs to solve those time-consuming equations such as COGO, triangles, traverses, and more in seconds. A complete online course is included that covers every topic of the exam with videos, workbooks, quizzes, and a full-length practice exam that simulates the computer-based format of the FS and PS exam. That gives you not just one, but two full-length practice exams to help fully prepare you for test day. 
Visit us at nlcprep.com for more information and let us help you crush your exams. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. Last week, my party chief said he wanted to go someplace he had never been before. So, I took him to the rear property line. Sound familiar? Are you tired of trudging all the way to the back of property lines? Why not take the steps to become a crew chief instead? Or even better, why not become a professional land surveyor and see your name stamped on that final survey? The Nettleman Institute of Land Surveying Engineering Technology is your next step. At NYSET, We believe you are the future of surveying, and we want to do everything we can to help you succeed at becoming a professional surveyor. NYSET offers the only online one-year certificate of land surveying program that includes all books, fees, and expenses in one simple price. Visit LandSurveyCareer.com to stop trucking through the mud and step into your future today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Do you Welcome want back. to uh, I've got my special guest, Patrick Lee, who is a leadership uh, seminar speaker in all things surveying. Uh, but now Patrick Lee has stepped out, and Daniel Boone has joined us in the studio. So, Mr. Boone... Welcome to the radio hour. Well, thank you. Please, please call, call me Daniel. Okay, Daniel, thank you. Well, Daniel, uh, to begin with, uh, a lot of our guests may not know you very well, so could uh, could you give us a brief uh, little bio of yourself? Well, I was born in eastern Pennsylvania in 1734. My folks had come there from England 17 years before and, and settled there in a Quaker settlement lived there till I was 14, and our family quit Pennsylvania and headed southwest, and about two years later, settled in the Yadkin River Valley of uh, what you know now as North Carolina, and that would be my home for the next 20 years. I met and married Rebecca Bryan there, and she bore us 11 children after 20 years in the Yadkin Valley, we moved over the mountains into the land of Kentucky. Uh, came to be called Kentucky. It was an Iroquois Indian word. It meant Great Meta. And Kentucky would be home for 25 years. And then when I was an old man, almost 65, headed west again across the Mississippi River and lived out the last 20 years of my life in the Femme Osage, a region west of the Mississippi River, north of Missouri, just a little bit beyond the city of St. Louis. Never can well, be anything more than a, than a hunter. What I like to do most of all was hunt, but as I went, I would explore. I love seeing things I hadn't seen before. Well, Daniel, it sounds like you've gotten around a lot. You know, you went from North Carolina, Kentucky to Missouri, all these places, um, can you tell us about, you know, what you did to make a living, you know, throughout the, that time and, uh, you know, what you did and, and how you did it? Mostly we'd hunt for deer hides and collect the deer hides to sell for cash to buy the few things we couldn't grow and, or make for ourselves. So mostly I, I was a hunter, but some, I did a lot of, a lot of different things trying to make a, a living for ourselves, uh, I I grew I dug ginseng some. I traded horses. Rebecca and me had a boarding house for a time. I I set up sheds for drying tobacco. Did some horse trading. Uh, if I couldn't find anything else to do, I'd do a little scratch farming with my boys. But I hated farming. But when I come into Kentucky, I started doing some surveying. I was as knowledgeable as anybody there 
about the state of Kentucky or the then the territory of Kentucky, and I did a lot of surveying, and I, I it didn't produce cash for me, but it did produce land. I didn't get paid in cash for any of my work there. There wasn't much cash on the frontier, but I would survey for folks, and I'd get paid in land or warrants for land, and over time came to came to have land or warrants for land for some 200,000 acres in the land of Kentucky. But I mostly I like to hunt and hunt for anything that we could, anything that we felt. When it comes to Missouri, the rivers of Missouri was full of beaver. So we did a lot of trapping beaver, selling the, the beaver hides to uh, be felted and turned into, turned into hats. But I lived outdoors, loved being outdoors, anything we could do to, to produce a little cash. Well, Mr. Boone, well, it's, it seems like every uh, big figure, presidents, uh, explorers, they've all done some surveying over their lifetime. But what kind of, you know, who taught you to be a survey? Well, I think it's something I just kind of picked up. It was a, it was a very common skill for a, a man to be able to measure and mark out a piece of ground. So there wasn't there wasn't a lot of skill involved at the time if you had a had a set of chains and a compass and could make your marks on paper and on the trees or on the ground you you could be a surveyor so a number of men was surveyors and i i was one more i i first started exploring in in kentucky when in 1767 i believe i was just uh in my mid-30s, come over the mountains into Kentucky, exploring, hunting over there. It was eight years later before I brought my family to live in the land of Kentucky, and by that time, I'd hunted and explored there for years, and over time, people started coming to Kentucky by the tens and the hundreds and then by the thousands, and they, they all came with warrants for land. They all needed someone to mark themselves out a piece of land. Well, who better to do that than me? I was more familiar with the land than anybody. So there was a lot of surveyors, and my skills, I think, was as good as anybody's. But uh, I just ended up doing a lot of surveying because I'd learned how to make the measurements and mark out the pieces, and, and people seemed to like that, at least, at least for a time. It led to a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache later on, but uh, I did a lot of surveying in Kentucky. Absolutely, and I, I'm reading a great book called Measuring America, and this is a, a history book about, you know, surveying the West. And a, a section of that book I was reading last night said that uh, you were hired by a businessman uh, to go into Kentucky and to build the Wilderness Road. And while you were building the road, you negotiated a land sale of many, many acres with the Indian tribe. But because of your poor legal description... No, even today, no one is quite sure what you purchased. Uh, could you tell us more about uh, some of your good and not so good surveys and uh, your general reputation? Well, Colonel Henderson had views on setting up uh, almost a kingdom in the, in the Transylvania region, and it turned out I, we, we surveyed a parcel or we marked out a parcel for him but it turned out he didn't have the, the court's rule. He didn't have the authorities to negotiate with the Indians for their land, and it was, it was all turned back. But the, the problem was is there were so many people coming to Kentucky with warrants for land that over time one, one man find, find that another man's claim lay on top of his, and then another man's claim lay on, on top of that. It was, it was called shingling over where, like shingles on a roof, where one lay on top of another, people find that what they thought was clear title to a piece of land wasn't clear at all because other people were claiming parts or all of the same territory. So someone once guessed that there'd been enough warrants issued in Kentucky to uh, shingle over the entire territory four times. There was that many warrants issued not it's nothing, not to say that there was anything wrong with my work. Is there was just too many people 
with too many claims for land. And over time, when when someone found out that that their land claim wasn't a good one, well, they they'd go to court. And if if I was the surveyor, they'd call me into court as the surveyor. If I had surveyed another piece of ground that had a conflicting claim, well, they'd call me into court as a on the other side, if I was on neither side, I'd oftentimes be called into court because I was the most knowledgeable person around about about surveying in Kentucky. And no matter how any case was settled, someone was going to be unhappy with Daniel Boone. And over time, I just started giving away pieces of my land or my warrants to people who thought they'd had a good title to their property and didn't it wasn't it wasn't anything i had to do or was required to do but it just seemed like it was the right thing to do to help out these people who thought they had a good claim and then found they didn't and, and over the years getting hauled into court so many times as a as a witness i ended up giving away every bit of these 200,000 acres that i had a claim to just to satisfy other people, and I end up leaving Kentucky with scarcely anything but the possessions Rebecca and me could put in a canoe and the clothes on my back. Not, not a very good stake for a man in his, in his early 60s to say he'd once owned or controlled or had access to 200,000 acres of land and lost it all and now have nothing. That really is a shame. And, you know, it just goes to show how generous you are. You know, you, you worked your entire life in this backwoods. You acquired a lot of property. And then by the time you, you know, you finished your life and headed to Missouri, you had nothing. So in our last uh, minute or so, do you have any life lessons or any leadership principles that, that people should know about? Well, I, I never got bitter about the things that happened to me. I... I had children die. I had one son tortured to death. I acquired several fortunes and lost them. I was taken advantage of by folks, and I never let it. I never let it get away, get in the way of the general optimism that I looked at as life. Just wanting to know what's over there, where where I haven't been. I just want to know. I would go. I just. I just kept on. I didn't get afraid. I didn't get discouraged. I just kept on. And, you know, I never thought of myself as a leader, but people was inspired by me. And if Daniel Boone would do something, they'd do it. So I set a good example for a lot of folks. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Boone, you're a true patriot. Thank you very much for being on our radio hour today. And uh, guests, we'll be right back with uh, William Clark. So stand by. We'll be right back. Last week, my party chief said he wanted to go someplace he had never been before. So, I took him to the rear property line. Sound familiar? Are you tired of trudging all the way to the back of property lines? Why not take the steps to become a crew chief instead? Or even better, why not become a professional land surveyor and see your name stamped on that final survey? The Nettleman Institute of Land Surveying Engineering Technology is your next step. At NYSET, We believe you are the future of surveying, and we want to do everything we can to help you succeed at becoming a professional surveyor. NYSET offers the only online one-year certificate of land surveying program that includes all books, fees, and expenses in one simple price. Visit LandSurveyCareer.com to stop trucking through the mud and step into your future today. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 
800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today Want to ace your upcoming survey exam? The NLC Prep Combo has everything you need to help you crush your upcoming FS, PS, Florida PSM, California PLS, or Texas RPLS exam. Combos include a full-length practice exam book with the same number of questions and category types as the actual exam, a pre-programmed HP 35 with 17 programs to solve those time-consuming equations such as Kogo, triangles, traverses, and more in seconds. A complete online course is included that covers every topic of the exam with videos, workbooks, quizzes, and a full-length practice exam that simulates the computer-based format of the FS and PS exam. That gives you not just one, but two full-length practice exams to help fully prepare you for test day. Visit us at nlcprep.com for more information and let us help you crush your exams. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Uh, We just heard from Mr. Daniel Boone, and right now in this segment we have someone who's also very special, William Clark. Uh, Clark uh, and his uh, compatriot, Meriwether Lewis, really... uh, traveled all the way from the East Coast to the Pacific Ocean, which is incredible. And these journeys were made with basically no resources and very little support from the U.S. government. But uh, enough with my description. Let's hear from Clark. So, Mr. Clark, how are you, sir? I'm pleased to be with you. Well, I'm pleased to hear from you. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us on one of your first uh, radio interviews. so can you begin by telling us, uh, you know, who are you and uh, what are you known for? Well, uh, born in Caroline County, Virginia in 1770, had five older brothers. All of them fought in America's War for Independence. So I grew up hearing their tales about uh, warfare and military activity and honor gained in service to their country, and it was a great example for me. And I went into the Army when I was a young man. And I, when I was there, I, I met a fellow four years my junior. His name was Meriwether Lewis. He served under me for just a few months, but we became fast friends. And it kind of set the course of my life meeting Meriwether Lewis. And we parted company after, after he left the Army, and so did I. But on the 19th day of July, 1803, my life was changed forever when I got a letter from Meriwether Lewis asking me to help him lead a company of men west up the Missouri River and, if possible, through the mountains Eastern Sea. And uh, it, it took me no time at all. The very next day, I wrote back to Lewis and said, I will cheerfully you. That's that, amazing. That, that set the rest of the course of, of my life. It came about totally unexpectedly, but I was grateful for it, grateful for it. Absolutely. And I, I remember, you know, I'm thinking about um, the astronauts with the space program. They were did a one mission, and they had an entire lifetime of publicity. So how long did it take you to go from the East Coast all the way to the West and back? Well, Captain Lewis began in Washington City with Mr. Jefferson. He went to Philadelphia for a time to get some more schooling in surveying and astronomical observations and in botany and zoology. All of the learned minds were in Philadelphia. He came to Pittsburgh where he commissioned boats for our journey. He came down the Ohio River and met me at the falls of the Ohio River. That's where he and I joined together on down to the Mississippi and up to St. Louis. We left the St. Louis area in May of 1804, 
and returned in September of 1806. So it took us 28 months and several days to get all the way west and back again. Wow, 28 months. And, you know, that's a long time. I mean, throughout that over two years, what were you doing? Well, President Jefferson wrote out lengthy instructions for Captain Lewis and things that he was to do and see and accomplish. They were just pages and pages of instructions. But all of those could really be summarized in the four main points. And the first one was supreme. We were to find the Northwest Passage, that place somewhere in the western lands where the headwaters of the Missouri River lay close to or interconnected with the headwaters of the Columbia or Oregon River, a route that would allow men to travel by water, by boat, all the way from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. Everyone knew that passage existed, but no one had found it. We were to find it. It was the primary purpose in our going. But as we went, we were to be a scientific mission as well. So we were to learn about the plants and animals that lived in the Western lands, especially those not known in the United States. Third, we were to learn about the native peoples who lived in those Western lands. And our instructions were very clear that to whatever degree it was possible with us, we were to treat them with the greatest respect and dignity and bring back as much information as we could about these people, many of whom were now subjects of the United States since we had purchased their land, Louisiana, from the French. And then fourth, we were to learn about the land itself. What what did it look like? Mr. Jefferson had bought it, but he didn't really know what he had bought. It was just its boundaries were indeterminate, roughly the western watershed of the Missouri River. But he wanted to know what did the land look like? Was it flat? Was it rolling? Was it hilly? Was it mountainous? Was it fertile? Was it barren? Was it well-watered? Was it dry? I was the primary map maker for the expedition, and after our return, I completed quite a detailed map from the mouth of the Missouri River on the east to the mouth of the Columbia River on the west, a land that, that from most of which the eye of civilized man had never seen. That's incredible. You know, we all think of the, the North America as the United States, but really, um, before you went on your journey, there no European knew what to expect in any detail west of the Allegheny Mountains. And the, the length that was traveled over 28 months is just spectacular. Now, did you, did you meet anyone important, or did you do any special surveying work? Or, you know, what can you tell us about, you know, some interesting things about that journey. Well, we, uh, we encountered more than 50 Indian tribes and documented each of them as, as much as we could record in our journals about where they lived, how they lived, what they wore, what they looked like, something of their spiritual beliefs, if we could. We brought back uh, descriptions or roots or seeds or cuttings of 178 plants unknown in the United States. We brought back skins or bones or skeletons or descriptions of 122 animals unknown to science. As I mentioned, I, I made a detailed map. The, the route from say, our first year was from St. Louis north and west to the Mandan villages, the Mandan Indians and their neighbors, the Hadassah, that route had been traveled and mapped for a dozen years, so it held no surprises for us. But in the spring of 1805, shortly west of the Mandan villages and all the way to the Western Sea, the eye of civilized man had not seen before. I believe it was a Mr. Aerosmith who had a map of the Western United States and from or the Western America, rather, and from west of the Mandan villages, there's just this line that just kind of trails off into nothing. And it's just a huge blank until you get just 50 or 60 miles up the Columbia River in, in the west. So I, I made a map of that area. We, we failed in the primary purpose of our going, finding that Northwest Passage, not because we failed to find it, but because we proved 
it didn't exist. We, we thought those western waters lay close to or interconnected with one another. What we found was that the, there was 300 miles, a distance of 300 miles between the navigable waters of the Missouri River and the navigable waters of the western rivers, and part of the, half of those 300 miles were taken up by the Bitterroot Mountains, the most rugged terrain that any of us had ever seen. There was no Northwest Passage, and Mr. Jefferson's primary reason for sending us would be lost. But in all of the rest of the, the journey, we really succeeded beyond measure. I love that. I love being out west. It's what a beautiful country, and just seeing it in you know virgin territory, no settlers out there, must have been absolutely spectacular. I love that. People would ask, well, what was the most amazing thing that you saw? And I could not identify a single thing because once we left, a few days past leaving the Mandan villages, every day was something new. Every single day presented a new vista for us, new challenges for us, an amazing view laying out before us every single day and, and getting to the, the Pacific Northwest, the kind of weather that none of us had ever... I don't know, I don't know if you've ever... That's spectacular. And I hate to cut you off, Mr. Clark, but we've got to go to a break, and we'll be right back. Last week, my party chief said he wanted to go someplace he had never been before. So, I took him to the rear property line. Sound familiar? Are you tired of trudging all the way to the back of property lines? Why not take the steps to become a crew chief instead? Or even better, why not become a professional land surveyor and see your name stamped on that final survey? The Nettleman Institute of Land Surveying Engineering Technology is your next step. At NYSET, we believe you are the future of surveying. And we want to do everything we can to help you succeed at becoming a professional surveyor. NYSET offers the only online one-year certificate of land surveying program that includes all books, fees, and expenses in one simple price. Visit LandSurveyCareer.com to stop trucking through the mud and step into your future today. Quick Stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Want to ace your upcoming survey exam? The NLC Prep Combo has everything you need to help you crush your upcoming FS, PS, Florida PSM, California PLS, or Texas RPLS exam. Combos include a full-length practice exam book with the same number of questions and category types as the actual exam, a pre-programmed HP 35 with 17 programs to solve those time-consuming equations such as COGO, triangles, traverses, and more in seconds. A complete online course is included that covers every topic of the exam with videos, workbooks, quizzes, and a full-length practice exam that simulates the computer-based format of the FS and PS exam. That gives you not just one, but two full-length practice exams to help fully prepare you for test day. Visit us at nlcprep.com for more information and let us help you crush your exams. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Radio Hour, Land Surveyor Hour. Uh, I have another special guest here, Mr. Thomas Jefferson, uh, past president of this great country and also a, a very good land surveyor. So, Mr. Jefferson, President Jefferson, welcome to our program. Dr. Nettleman, I am honored that you have chosen to include me in your program. Thank you. 
Well, thank you for being here. Uh, you have done a, a lot of stuff, attorney, uh, president, land surveyor. So it's difficult to summarize your entire life. But can you tell us uh, some of the things you did surveying uh, land-wise and, and why you like land? My father, Peter Jefferson, was a surveyor by profession. When he died, he died when I was just 14, and I inherited his surveying tools. I had his example. When I was yet in my 20s, I was named surveyor of Albemarle County, my home county in Virginia. It was always an interest of me, interest of mine. I liked measuring things. I believed that everything could be quantified, and in particular, I loved measuring land. I surveyed my own lands in 1783 in the Confederation Congress. I authored a bill for the surveying of all of the western land on the original 13 states all the way to the Mississippi River, providing for a rectilinear grid to be imposed upon the land, and then settlement would conform to that rectilineal grid. I liked order. I liked measurement. And rather than doing it by pell-mell, by meets and bounds, as had been the case before, I wanted to see an orderly system imposed upon the land that would help us to settle it, document it, and measure it. That's awesome. And I love the public land system. You know, it's it's systematized. It works well. There are some quirks, but it's it's so much more uh, usable than a meets and bounds system. And I, I think the one thing I remember you for is the public land system. Uh, but before that, you know, before you became president and authored the Land Act of 1784-85, did you do any surveying before you became president? I did some surveying of my lands in, in Virginia. More commonly, I would direct the work of others, but I, I knew all of the surveying skills. Uh, so it's, I, I, I wanted accurate measurements of things, so I would see to it that that was done properly. So it, it was really a lifelong interest of, of mine. I, in, in my mid-70s, I surveyed the grounds for the University of Virginia. It was not yet in existence, but I devoted the last dozen years of my life to establishment of that university, and I surveyed those grounds. So it really was a lifelong interest of mine, uh, this measuring and documenting the land. Absolutely, and you can find surveys of yours uh, published online and, and at your home of not only your house, but you own several kind of outlying farms or other areas you surveyed as well. So you were really cataloging and documenting all of your land holdings, it sounds like. Yes, I, I had a, a number of lands around Albemarle and then a significant significant more land in Bedford County to the, to the west of Albemarle, land I inherited in, as part of my father-in-law's estate. And I, I just wanted it accurate, accurately documented. It was that, that was important to me. As I said, I, I like to measure things. I like them quantified. I like them defined. And from that mindset, you know, surveying or otherwise, uh, do you have any leadership or life lessons for us today? They are more general, not, not dealing with surveying, but I oftentimes address surveyor societies and, and multiple other professional societies, and I end on a more general note, and one is a challenge to people to understand their past, to know the times and forces and circumstances and personalities that have brought them to this time. It, it can not only guide their present, it can protect their future. So I challenge people to understand their past. I... I uh, I challenge people to safeguard the freedoms that we enjoy in this land that most people take for granted and that they should not, they should not do so. And I challenge people to have a long-term vision about the work that they do, to see beyond this month 
or this year or even this decade and glimpse, if they can, a hundred years into the future, maybe two hundred years into the future, and see what might be the results then for the actions, hopefully noble actions, that people undertake today. So I leave people with those three challenges. I also leave them with endpoints of advice that I wrote as an old man. I call it Decalogue of Canons for Observation in Practical Life. Once again, when I speak, I tell people it is not about me, it is not about the past, but what they can draw from my life that will guide them and help them in, in the future. So these ten points of advice, the challenges for for their lives going forward, I think leaves them on a very positive note as they pursue the remaining courses of their lives. Absolutely, I love that. And I'm, I'm reading your canons right now, and some of the things I see, you know, never spend your money before you have it. That's uh, the lesson I never learned. <laughs> it is advice I wanted to give to others, but it's a lesson I never mastered. Absolutely. And also, uh, you know, nothing is troublesome if you do it willingly. You know, always have a positive attitude. Those are things that we can all learn from. So if you'd like to learn some great life lessons, go to thomasjeffersonleadership.com and click on the store, and you can find uh, and you could purchase a really nice copy of this Decalogue of Canons. And this is not surveying or attorney or anything. This is just life lessons everyone should live by. And if you can live by these ten life lessons, you will be a much better person. I can absolutely guarantee you. So if you're thinking about uh, a speaker for your next state society or a luncheon or something like that, you've got to check out thomasjeffersonleadership.com. The, the stuff on this page is great, and even the YouTube videos, which are totally free, provide a ton of lessons. So definitely go to Mr. Lee's website and learn about William Clark, Daniel Boone, especially Thomas Jefferson. Now, unfortunately, we only have one minute left on the program. It flies by. So uh, what can you tell us uh, we should end us off? It's, it's yours, Mr. Jefferson. It is a remarkable land that we were able to bring to independence in 1776. It was founded upon principles of all men being created equal and endowed with their creator with rights which cannot be taken away, and that generations successive to mine have expanded those rights to include people who did not enjoy them in my time, but in your time, Men and women of every background, station, color, and creed are free to choose whatever course they desire. This is a remarkable land. These are remarkable, wonderful rights that we enjoy. And I was privileged to be a part of that in, in the beginning of this marvelous experiment in democracy. What a great lesson to, to leave off on, Well. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Jefferson. I hope everyone learns more of your life lessons, and thank you for your time. You are most welcome, sir. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.